Well, it's so good, again, to come with you all and to share the Word of God with you. We're eager and expectant to approach the Word of God this morning. So if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 14 through 21. We're going to continue our study through the 1 Corinthians book so that we can learn from God and from Apostle Paul what does it mean to live and to together be a healthy church. Let's read verse 14 through 21 of chapter 4. He says, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but admonish you as my beloved children. But though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and a faithful child in the Lord, to remind you my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I was not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love in the spirit of gentleness? It's about in the word of prayer. Our Father, we are thankful for this morning. We're thankful for this time of worship. It's time to sing songs to you. We're so grateful that we together as a congregation get to lift up our voices together uh, and sing songs and and hear one another sing. This is the only place uh, throughout the entire week, the only place actually for our lives, for most of our lives throughout the entire week that we get to hear another person sing in the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we get to do that today. And we pray that we have encouraged one another today through our singing. And now we're going to encourage one another through the listening to your word. And we thank you, Lord, for um, this opportunity. Teach us, Lord, according to your power and according to your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We imitate those we admire. In fact, the, the world which we live in is always constantly, always, always calling us to imitation. We can see this in the mall which you walk into. You walk into a mall, and you constantly see these calls to imitation. It could be on the wall. It could be on a billboard. It could be on this, this, this place. You're walking past, and you see this beautiful woman, this famous actress, handing out or holding on this famous perfume. Makes you want to buy that perfume because you feel that if you have this perfume on you, perhaps you'll be as beautiful as this actress. Or perhaps it's a beautiful actor or famous actor that wears this beautiful coat. And you think that if you wear this coat, if you wear this clothing, you'll be as handsome as this actor. Or it could be this athlete, this athlete, a basketball player wearing this basketball shoe. And and you're thinking, if I wear these shoes, I will be able to play as well as this basketball player. I remember when I was younger, I used to own a pair of Jordans. And it was very expensive when I bought them. I wore them while I played games. I used to play games with my friends when I was in college, and we would play casually. I never played in high school and junior high. I just play with friends and shoot here and there and just run back and forth uh, on, on the court, and we would play. And oftentimes at UCLA, we'll run to these guys who used to play in high school. And these high school guys are really, really good. Now you imagine, I never play with college guys, just high school guys who play in high school, whether they're, they're just JV or whatsoever, but they're good basketball players. And I used to play games with them. I would get decimated by them. They're faster than me, stronger than me, jumps higher than me, taller than me. Everything they're doing, they're, they're, they could do better than I do. 
And I used to wear these basketball shoes, Jordans, and I found out that Jordans never really helped me to play better in basketball, even though Michael Jordan promised me that I could be just like Mike. <laughs> the reality is that I cannot. I'm still just good old Richard. That's who I am. Buying these shoes, but I was disappointed on what these shoes actually offer. Now, trying to become a good basketball player is just one of the things which the world is seeking you to imitate in. But the world is actually drawing you in with many other things, such as looks, ability to earn money, the stock market. If you follow this individual, if you do exactly what this individual says, you will be able to earn more money than you can imagine. You'll be able to be a millionaire by the time that you're 30 years old. Only if you trade stock market like the one who is advertising you. But the reality is that we're often disappointed. We try to follow these people, but we're never receiving what these people are offering. And the result of that is that we are sad, we're depressed. The reason why we're allowing ourselves to be taken advantage of, the reason why people do take advantage of us is because oftentimes we have not admired the right things in life. We admire looks, we admire money, we admire success. But God actually wants us to admire one thing and one thing alone, and that is godliness. God wants us to admire people who are godly because it's the quality that he himself has. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God said this. Well, God did this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He created man man who he made in his own image. In his own image means that he created them to be holy. He created them to be righteous. He created them to be not cherish these qualities in our lives. Adam and Eve fell away from God. Adam and Eve sinned against God. We chose to follow our own ways. We chose to yield the fruit and say, you know, we can be as wise as God, all without God. We can live our lives our own ways, plan our own lives, make our own decisions, and this is the world which we're living right now, all apart from God. As a result of that, the world was not better, but it is far worse. We sinned against God. As a result of sin, death came into the world, and we see all kinds of ugliness in this world, murderous hearts, actually murderous, murderous actions, hurtful words. We see all these things which we don't want in this world as a result of the fact that we did not want the qualities which God made us to have in the very beginning. Our God, however, He loves us and desires for us to have these qualities again. He desires for us to be pure as He is pure, as holy as is holy. So positionally, He did this for us. He came. Son of God came. Jesus Christ came, who is God himself, came to earth and lived the perfect life, which you cannot live and I cannot live, and gave that perfect righteousness to you and to me. He gave his perfect life to you and to me. And he died on the cross to pay for the punishment as do you and do me for our sins, because a just God must punish sins. A just God must bring results and consequences to sins, and Jesus took that consequence for us. Not only so, he rose from the dead to show us that if we believe unto him, we shall forever live with him. This is the good news of the gospel. And through the gospel, positionally, we're made like Jesus. We're made as pure as Jesus. God looks at us now as he looks at his own son, Jesus Christ. We're pure and holy before God. However, practically, we still have a lot of work to do. We're still working on our practical Christianity, our practical outliving of our faith. And this is the message today. You see, as we believe in Lord Jesus Christ, we want to live for him. 
We want to practically live out holiness and purity in our lives. That's good news to us. We want to imitate God. This is the hard work of salvation we're talking about this morning in our Bible study. It is hard work trying and seeking to live out the life that God calls us to live. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says this, that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It is hard work, but we want to do it. In fact, not only do we want to imitate God, imitate Him in His holiness, we actually want to imitate others who are also imitating God. This is called discipleship. You see, as we're all imitating God together, we get to help each other along. We get to be examples to one another in our own imitation of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 through 21, we're going to see exactly this. God is calling us to holy and godly imitation. We're called to imitate one another. We're called to be people worthy of others imitating. So in this passage today, what we're going to see is this. We're going to see three characteristics that belong to a man or a woman who is worthy of your imitation. A man and a woman who is worthy of your imitation toward God must have these three qualities in their lives. The first quality is this. A man or woman who is worthy of your imitation in Christ is a man or woman who is committed to God's people, who is lovingly committed to God's people. We're going to see this in verse 14 through 16. It says, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. As we come to this passage, we're seeing Paul himself calling the church, he's writing to the church of Corinth, to be imitators of him. This particular church is a church that Paul loved. This particular church is the church that Paul cherished. In fact, he planted this church. He spent about a year and a half in this church, ministering to this church. However, according to Paul's job description, he cannot stay in this church for long because he's an apostle. So he had to keep moving on. He had to continue to share the gospel with people who had not heard the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, His job is to be a skilled master builder in which he lays a foundation and someone else builds upon it. He used to plant the church, and once he plants the church, other people get to build the top of the church which he has planted. His job description is to preach the gospel, according to Romans chapter 15, verse 20, to preach the gospel not where Christ has been named. He's a missionary. He's not necessarily the pastor that would stay at the church for a long period of time, but he's a missionary who will go out and plant more churches. As other people come, they would then build on top of the foundation which he has built. That's his job. However, even though his job is to plant churches, he's not one who just go and establish the church and leave and doesn't care about the church which he established. He always goes back, visit the church which he has planted. At the same time, he will also write to the churches which he's planted. He cares for churches. He cares for individuals within the church. He's not just an organizational mastermind who says, you know what, I'm here to build this organization, but he doesn't really care about individuals inside that organization. He's an organizational builder, but at the same time, he cares about individuals in that organization. This is seen specifically in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. He yearns for them. He, he wants to see them. He wants to be by them. If he can, he will stay there forever, but he cannot because he is an apostle. He must keep going and keep sharing the gospel with people who has not yet heard. 
However, he does stay in contact with the churches, and specifically with the church of Corinth he did. And he found out that the church has grown after he had left, but he has not grown. He has not grown exactly in a healthy way. He's grown in unhealthy ways. In fact, he heard about this through Chloe in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brethren. There's quarreling, there's fighting among you. Specifically, he mentions this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. For you are still of the flesh. For while the jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? See, the church has grown. The church has gotten bigger. It's gotten more programs, more ministries, more activities. But people are serving God out of their selfish ways. They're comparing themselves to others on their spirituality and their ministry activities and what they've done. It's very similar to the world's comparison with each other. See, the world which we live in will compare each other with our finances, compare with each other in our successes, compare each other with our advancement in our career. And we say, you know, we're better than this next individual because we have done this. This person has not. This was happening in this church. People were comparing themselves with others, feeling prideful about themselves for the work which they're doing, and their motivation wasn't necessary to glorify God. Their motivation was to glorify themselves. And Paul says, this is not how you should do church. This is not how church should be. So he begins to tell them how he lives his life. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. says, I am, and he says, I am a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The word servant is what galley slave. He says, I'm one who is on the bottom of the boat, third level down, just rolling and pulling, pushing and pulling, according to the beat of the drum. I'm just a galley slave. According to whatever God wants me to do, I do. I'm just a servant of his. I'm not a visionary as you would expect me to be. I'm not one who's glamorous, who's doing all this glamorous work. Oh, look at you, Apostle Paul, you're so glamorous, so special. No, just a slave, just a servant of God. Specifically, what I do is I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. I'm here to tell people the gospel. The mysteries of God is the gospel. And that life lends me to a life of humility, a life of suffering, a life of rejection. It's not as glamorous as you think it would be. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says this, To the present hour we hunger, we thirst, we're poorly dressed, we're buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. This is my life. It's a life of suffering. It's a life of being rejected. It's a life of being persecuted. I'm living this out for the Lord. As I'm living this out, Paul says, I want you to know this is so different than the life that you're living. You can imagine the Corinthian church to be a mega church, right? Kind of like an American mega church. A lot of activities. And more people are coming because of activities. More people are coming because of the programs that we are advertising. Because more people are coming, there's more money pouring into the church. And people say, we're kings. We're doing well as a church. And Paul says, that's not how I live. I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel. You should follow me. And he says this in verse 14, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. You got it all wrong, guys. You got it all wrong, but I'm, I'm not writing these things to you to make you feel embarrassed and ashamed. 
A father can do that, right? A father could beat up a child. A child could do something wrong. The father could just be harsh with that child and, and kind of build in this child a, a sense of insecurity, and the child's still working on this in, in her or his adulthood. She says, wow, I, I, I'm still working through how my father treated me when I was a child. And Paul says, I'm not doing this to you. I'm not causing you to be ashamed. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not causing you to lose your motivation in life. I want you to know that I care for you. I love you. I'm trying to call you to imitation. I don't want you to imitate these false teachers, these teachers who are elevating themselves, but I want you to draw, I want you to be drawn to me in imitating me as I imitate Christ. I'm your beloved father in the Lord. I'm monitoring as my beloved children. I care for you. I want you to know that I love you. I'm affectionate towards you. This is why Paul says why you should imitate me. You should imitate people who are affectionate towards you as they teach you the gospel of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul mentions this to the Thessalonian church, saying this to illustration, both as a mother as a father. He said this, but we're gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I'm gentle. I'm like a nursing mother just feeding you gently. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, Paul compares himself to a father. He says this, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who called you into his own kingdom and glory. So I'm like a father too. I'm like a father who actually is a good father, a father with integrity, a father who cares for you. I'm exhorting you, charging you. I'm holding on. I'm making sure you understand what I'm saying in a gentle way. I'm that to you. I care for you. I love you. I want you to listen to me. Not only is Paul saying that I love you and care for you, and that's why you should listen to me and imitate me, he's also saying that I'm actually a real father to you. I'm a spiritual father in that sense. In verse 15, he says, So though you have, for though you have countless guides in Christ, right, there are other teachers in the Lord, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul says this I'm the planter of this church. You did not even know God before I get here. Now I left this church, and you have many teachers coming in. That's the way it should be. I planted, and Apollo waters, and other people come and water. You have countless guides in Christ. Countless is the word myriad. You have 10,000 guides, 10,000 other teachers, and the guides is the word for schoolmaster. Literally, the picture being painted is a schoolmaster or a slave or servant. It doesn't necessarily have to be a household slave, but a servant who comes in and teaches the child of the house certain skill set under the supervision of the father. So the father is there over his children, and, and other, other schoolmasters, other servants will come in. They would teach the child arithmetic or math or a different kind of skill set, reading or, or sports or how to play a certain instrument, all under the supervision of the father. And Paul says, I'm actually your father. I'm actually the one who planted this church. I'm actually your spiritual mentor in such a way that that would never change because I was the one that caused you to come into Christ. You have many other guides in Christ. Many people are teaching you one thing or the other. Some people are teaching you good things, some not so good things. But I want you to know that certain religion does not change. I know you. I know you, and I love you, and I want you to recognize this. If, because I know you, I want to share with you this very fact that you still have a lot of ways to grow in. The church of Corinth does not have to listen to Paul. They're bigger now. They're mega church, perhaps, you imagine, with a lot of programs, a lot of events, a lot of money coming in. A lot of people just saying we're doing good things, but Paul says, but I'm your father. I actually know you. I actually care for you, and I want you to listen to me. I want you, as verse 16 says, to be imitators 
a me. You see, do we have such individuals in our lives? Do we have individuals who actually know us and care for us and will rather want us to imitate them and want us to be attached to them? I think about Hollywood, just the example of how people actually don't appreciate this kind of relationship they would have with people. You see, in Hollywood, we want to listen to people who would just speak the sweet words to us. People would tell you, oh, you can make it. People would tell you, yeah, you could do this. But while there are people back home who are telling us, hey, I need you to think this clearly. And we don't listen to them. We come to Hollywood, and people come to Hollywood, and they, they become, they're on the streets. They do drugs, and they don't, they don't believe that their family are there for them. I was, re- I was talking, meeting with this one person just a few weeks ago, and this person that we see oftentimes in the streets of Hollywood. When he first came to our church, he was coming. Uh, he was actually doing okay. But eventually he got into drugs and eventually he was on the streets and sometimes he would sit out in the porch with us and his family would call us and tell us that we love you. We love him. Can you tell us, can you tell him that we love him, that he's welcome to come back home? And we tell him that and he was like, yeah, yeah. See, this person grew up in the church. He came to Hollywood and against the better advice of his parents, against the better advice of his youth pastor, came to Hollywood thinking that he's going to do this thing. But then he did not listen to the people who truly care for him, people who truly know him. Who are the people who truly know you? Your parents, your youth pastor, your pastor, your small group leaders, your people that truly know you. These are the people who you should listen to, especially if they are the people who know the Lord and can give actual sound biblical advice to your life. These are the people that you should adhere yourself to and not the people who will speak sweet words to you. This is the call to imitation. Imitate those who are close to you, who are committed to you, and who will speak godly words to you. I think about the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son is a prime example in the Bible who did not do this. The prodigal son is the one who ran away from his father. His father says, no, you shouldn't do this. So no, I wish that you would die. Just give me my inheritance. And off he goes. And off he goes, what does he do? In Luke chapter 15, verse 13, he says this. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Squandered his wealth away in wild living with all the people. Everybody is my friend. Why? Because you have money. You have money, and so people are attached to you. And when the money runs out, what happens? And nobody is attached to them anymore. Luke chapter 15, verse 16. He was hungry. He didn't have money left. He longed to fill his stomach with the pots that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. People just kind of left him alone. So I, we kind of used up this guy. This guy is just off on his own, not his friends anymore. But who truly cared for him? His father, right? He decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to return home. I'll just be my father's slave. He could just treat me like one of his servants. And we, right when he walked back home, even before he reached back home, his father saw him. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, was filled with compassion for the son. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. His father truly cared for him, wanted the best for him. Do we have such relationship in our lives in which we are running away from? That's the question. And will we embrace such relationship? Are there people who truly know you and will speak the words of God to you? See, we're called to imitate God. It is true. We're called to imitate God, but then God's also given to us godly men and women in our lives for us to follow after, imitate them as they're imitating God. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So we need to find out who these people are, the people who could truly speak into our lives, are the people who truly know you, 
Not the people out there that know you and just will speak sweet words to you. No, the people who truly know you, your parents, your pastors, your small group leaders, people who truly speak and who truly see you for who you are and still is committed to you even though you're not that great of a person, but still loves you. These are the people that you should follow. So here, there are three characters. The first characters that we see this see in, in a person we should follow is this. The person worthy of your imitation is a person who is truly committed to you. First characteristic. The second characteristic, a person who is truly worthy of your imitation is a person who will lovingly teach you, who lovingly teaches you. We're going to see this in verse 17. It says, That is why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and a faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul is now focused on teaching. He says this, I want you to learn from Timothy. I want, you to, I want to teach you through Timothy. Timothy was a, a disciple of Paul, a person that Paul had picked up along his way in his second missionary journey. In Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it says this, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Now with Timothy, Paul was able to disciple him. Paul was able to teach him and, and guide him in the ways of the Lord. Timothy was very, absorb, uh, very absorbent, I would suppose, a, very, a person who wanted to learn everything that Apostle Paul would like to teach. So Apostle Paul said this regarding Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, that had no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I mean, Timothy was a great guy who was a humble guy. At the same time, was willing to learn everything from Paul, was willing to absorb everything from Paul. And Paul says, I'm sending to you Timothy now. In verse 17, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. I'm going to send you Timothy so that he can teach you. I'm a little bit caught up in my business here right now, in the place I'm writing, which is Ephesus. But now I'm sending Timothy to you so that you can learn from him. Specifically, Paul wanted to teach the Corinthian church his ways in the Lord. To remind the Corinthian church through Timothy, my ways in Christ. We see this in verse 17. So Paul is not drawing people to himself. Paul is drawing people to Christ to remind them of his ways, what? In Christ. It's not his ways generally. It's not his opinion. It's not his situation. It's not his own experience. But his ways in Christ specifically so that he can confidently say in verse 17, these are the things I teach everywhere in every church. He's not drawing people to his personality. He's not drawing people to his experience. He's not drawing people to the wonderful illustration that he can give regarding his own life. He's not drawing people to his own stories. He's drawing people to who God is. That's his prerogative. That's his goal. That's his purpose. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, Paul says, The reason why I can do this is because the gospel that was preached to me or preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says this, the reason why I can be consistent in my teaching to you is because the revelation which I'm revealing to you right now, the teaching which I'm revealing to you right now is not from me. I'm not going out there and scoping out the crowd and saying, well, I think this person is this or that church is this. This is a suburban crowd. This is a church in the, in the urban crowd. I'm, I'm trying to fit my uh, personality with them so that I can be accepted. And the Paul says, everywhere I go, I teach the same thing. I teach this, the Word of God. This is the best that we can offer to people. Whenever I go, whenever we go as pastors, whenever you go as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the best gift that you can do, give to people is to reveal to them what the Word of God says, which is consistent, hasn't changed for the last 2,000 years and whenever the, word, the end of the, the Word of God has been written. Well, it hasn't changed for a very long time. 
because it's consistency, you can also be consistent in your teaching. This is what a good church is all about. A good church is not a church to which a pastor is dynamic. A good church is not a, good ch- a church where a pastor is able to tell stories and grip people's attention. A good church is a church that appreciates this. Amen. That's a good church. Amen. See, this week I was talking with some small group leaders in our small group leaders meeting. We're talking about this book, Knowing God. And if you've been through this book or studied this book with us, you would know that it's pretty dense, right? It's written in the 1970s by a British guy. And what does a British guy in 1970s, written in this British English, and sometimes we had to pull out our dictionary to find out what he says, what does he really mean, had anything to do with us here in Hollywood. And people still reading it, all of us are enjoying this book. Why? The reason why we're enjoying this book is because not, it's not because, oh, this person doesn't communicate in my language, or I, I, I'm having a hard time just trying to uh, relate to this person. No, the reason why we're enjoying this book is because this book is actually teaching us specific truth about God teaching us about the jealousy of God, the wrath of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the truthfulness of God. And we read this, and then we could relate to this British man who wrote this book in 1970, and now he's passed away, written like a Puritan would write, oftentimes repeating himself over and over again, just like, you know what, it's just like, it's a lot of words, but we're still enjoying it because it's teaching us about God. See, a good church is a church not because a church is listening to a pastor powerfully speak. A good church is a church who has powerful years. You have keen years to listen to the word of God. You're not bored when people teach you about God. You can have a boring person out here, up here, teaching you about God, and you still are aware and captivated by what this person teaches. That is a good church. That is a church. We see this all the time. When I go to a church, it's like, well, this person is pretty boring. But I look around, and say, well, everybody's paying attention. Wow. That's a good church. That's what we need to be. That's what we are growing in as well. See, Psalm chapter 19, verse 8 says this. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. There's a precept of the Lord. There's the, the commandment of God excites you. There's a cause your heart to rejoice. There's a precepts of God cause your eyes to be enlightened? Are you bored? Are you falling asleep? <laughs> or are you just, even though it's a boring sermon, but you're, you're captivated because it's the Word of God is teaching you something about God. It's enlightening to your eyes. It's what you and I need to be. Psalm chapter 119, verse 14 says this, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all the riches. So I delight in your Word as much as delight in riches. Does riches excite you? Well, sometimes, right? Getting that paycheck? Does that paycheck excite you? Yeah. Well, it says the Word of God excites me as much as getting a paycheck. I'm excited to read the Word. I'm delighted in it as much as in all riches. So a good church is a church that appreciates teaching, appreciates those who would teach you, appreciates those who would spend the time to communicate to you the Word of God. That's the second character we see, an individual worthy of your imitation. First, we see an individual worthy of your imitation is one who is lovingly committed to you, one who lovingly cares for you. You need to imitate that guy or that woman. The second characteristic is this, one who lovingly teaches you. We saw this just now. And the third characteristic, you need to imitate the person who will lovingly confront you, who will lovingly confront you. We see this in verse 18 through 21. It says, some are arrogant 
as though I was not coming to you. But I'll come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? With love in the spirit of gentleness. Paul is saying to this church, I'm willing to come to you. I'm, I'm kind of helping behind right now. I'm going to send to you Timothy right now, but don't, don't think I'm not willing to come to you. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to confront you, and I'm going to win you back. I'm going to win you back to the Lord. Specifically, I'm going to win you back through a display of power. See, the church could be a church of talk, he says in verse 19. It could be a church of talk, the talk of the arrogant people, or, or it could be a church of power. Verse 20 says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. You see, the church of Corinth has been a church of talk all this time. You can imagine the church is a mega church. The church has been growing quite a bit. There's a lot of activities going on in this church. You read through the book of Corinthians, you know that there are a lot of church, and the person thinking, you know what, I can live my life however way I want, and nobody will confront me of my sins. Church of talk. It's American church. People just come, do activities. You know that there are problems going on, but people never want to talk about it. There's an elephant in the room, and you know, these two people don't like each other. But, you know, just keep it going, guys. Just keep it going. Keep the money coming in. we got to keep the show going. The church of talk. But Paul says, I'm not interested in building a church of talk. I'm building a church of power. And what is power? Paul related to power in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. He says that this is the power of the ministry to see people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to have their lives changed. You and I have experienced that power because it's the only power that captivated you and called you to be a believer in Jesus Christ today. Each one of us one day were unbelievers. Each one of us one day were those who did not want anything to do with Jesus. We're living our sin. We're living just in our own ambition, we're living, caring about the things which we care about and we don't really want anything to do with God. But someone came to our life and said, you, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. You need to repent of your sin. Someone had the courage, right, to tell you that. Someone had the courage to tell you that you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is power. This is confrontation. Someone confronted you and you're thinking about, oh, you're mad, right? It's like, oh, someone shouldn't have said that to me. But you went home. You thought about it. You said, you know what, I'm going to show up at church next day. I'm going to show up. I'm going to believe. And eventually, the power of God is working in you. The Holy Spirit is working in you. And you became what? Born again. John chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus says, you must be born again. And you are born again. And as you're born again, you begin to live your life for Jesus. I mean, this power is illustrating Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 to 27. Ezekiel says, and this is actually what God is saying, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God says this, the power that you have experienced is the power of removing your heart of stone and being replaced by and having that being replaced with a heart of flesh. That's real power. You experience that in your life today. You didn't want anything to do with God, but now you're serving God. Now you're coming to church. Now you're giving to God your talents, your abilities. You're giving God your time. You're cleaning up the church. You're serving God in a variety of different ways, giving God your finances. I mean, this is the power, right? You didn't have anything to do with God. You didn't want anything to do with him, but then your life has changed. Now you are his. And Paul says, I'm interested in this kind of church. I'm not interested in playing church. 
I don't want to play church. I don't want people just come to church because of activities. I don't want people to come to church because of just programs. I want to come to church because, oh, there's a, a, a wonderful uh, thing that you're doing and, and draws the crowd. No. I want you to come to church because I want to see you want, and I want to see lives changed in Christ. I want to see lives transformed. And when we do see life transformed, when we do preach the gospel, when we see that person who initially does not want anything to do with God, now wants everything to do with God, you know that this is the real thing. And when we have the real thing, you don't want to go back to the old thing anymore, right? You don't want to go back to playing church anymore. And Paul says this, should I come to you with the rod or the spirit of gentleness? He's saying this, I can come to you and share these things with you and teach you this. I can confront you this, with this with a rod because when I have the real thing, it's easy for me to just be harsh with you. I can rebuke you. I can make you feel sad. But I don't want you to. I want to confront you. I want to win you back. But I'd rather win you back with the spirit of gentleness. So I ask you today to be humble with what I have to teach you. I'm willing to confront you in humility. Let me do it. See, a church as healthy is a church that will confront. A church that does not confront, on the other hand, is a church that is not healthy. In fact, it's a church that's just plain church. You can see example of plain church in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, you have a particular person who's playing church. You know who he is? Eli. Eli. In 1 Samuel, I mean, they didn't have church back then, but you're talking about ministry in general. Eli was a high priest back in the days of Samuel. Samuel was just a little child. And when Samuel was a child, Eli was a high priest. Really, the buck stops with him in terms of ministry. He had two sons named who? Phineas and Hophni. Hophni and Phineas, who were unbelievers. They didn't even know the Lord. It says so in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, that Phineas and Hophni are worthless men and did not know the Lord. And what they were doing is this. They were ministering in a tabernacle. They're ministering and attending meetings. They're doing priestly duties and taking advantage of God's people. I mean, this is not a real ministry. This is a show. It's just a show for people. And, and Eli didn't have the courage to confront his sons and put a stop to it. He knew his sons were unbelievers, but just let them keep going. Let them keep going because he did not want to stir the pot. What ended, eventually ended up happening in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 20 was this. The, the two sons were sleeping with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. They were committing sexual immorality with the women who were there. And Eli still didn't stop it. I mean, he kind of talked to his son a little bit. He said this in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 24. No, no, my sons, it is not good report I hear of the people that the Lord, uh, hear the people of the Lord are spreading abroad. I shouldn't be hearing this. And what people are saying is not good. It's not even about what people are saying, right? It's not even be about what he's hearing. That's not even the most important thing. It's about what are you doing? What are you doing? Committing sexual morality in the very tabernacle of God. But Eli did not have any courage to deal with his two sons. Didn't want to stir the pot. Didn't want to deal with the problem. Just want to keep the show going. Let's just keep the show going, guys. We don't want to cancel the event. We don't want to remove the leaders. We don't want to remove these individuals. These are the good donors. They are the good leaders. We don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to cause trouble within the church. So let's just keep it going. Let's never confront sins. So what happened? For Samuel, what happened is this. The ministry was destroyed. Yeah, the ministry was destroyed. The Philistines came, took the Ark of Covenant. Eli died in the process. His two sons died in battle. God did not want that kind of ministry. God wants a ministry that's serious about him, a ministry that confronts, a ministry that has power for changed lives. 
So are we that ministry or are we not? Do you appreciate people confronting you and say, I need to hear this? I think about any healthy ministry or any healthy family, you need confrontation. Imagine my wife and I or our kids. If there's no confrontation within our family, we would not be a healthy family. How would it be, how healthy could it be if my kids were running uh, uh, just amok and, and, and doing all kinds of things that they shouldn't be doing? I don't confront them. It would not be a healthy family. And the only reason why we have a good marriage today between my wife and I is because we actually confront each other. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 says this. We need to bring our sin to another, bring the, 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 the sin which they have conducted against us to the attention to our bro, of our brother. I'm church disciplined. It's the church discipline process. I'm church disciplined about 200 times a year. Did you know that? That first step. And a good church is the church that would take that first step to go to that brother or go to that sister and say, I need you to grow in this way. The reason why I'm mature in Christ, the reason why I'm spiritually growing the Lord is because people had taken the time, people had loved me enough to confront me on my sins. So don't be the person that you're so stern and so, so, so difficult to talk to. Nobody wants to confront you and people just want to leave you alone. No, be humble. Be humble so that people will actually confront you. People are willing to confront you and, and, and lay these things humbly before you and know that you will listen. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What are you attracted to? Are you attracted to kisses? People who say good things about you? People always say good things about you are not the friends that you need to have. You need to have people who will actually confront you, who would wound you a little bit because they love you. Because they love you. Listen to them. Psalm chapter 145, uh, 141 verse 5 says this, that the righteous man, what? Strike me. It is kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Let the righteous man strike me. Let, it is kindness to me. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. I don't want to refuse this. I mean, it takes discipline in this, right? Sometimes a righteous man comes to you and says, you know what, this is the way you need to grow. And you're, you're, you're complaining about your life, and the righteous man comes to you and says, actually, the fault lies with you. You're like, ah, I can't believe you didn't listen to me. But then you go home, and he's like, yeah, I need to listen to you. In fact, you got to, okay, calm down, calm down. <sighs> yes, I need to listen to it. That's discipline. That's what God says we need to do. We need to take rebuke from righteous people and say, you know what, I need to listen to this so that I can grow in the Lord. This is what a good church is all about. Now, if you think this is too serious of a church, perhaps you bought into the American church, but you're not in a biblical church. This is what we need to be. You need to be in a process of discipleship, whether you are discipling others in such said ways or you've been discipled by others in such said ways. Where are you today? Do you have people speaking to, into your life? Or are you speaking into other people's life? Or both. Better yet, both. You say, how do I do so? Well, join our small group, right? Be a part of small group. Be a part of actual activity in the church in which we're actually not just about activity. We're actually about discipleship. We want to form a discipleship relationship between people so that people can actually speak into each other's lives. Join one. Eventually be a small group leader so that you can actually speak into other people's lives in how they can be growing in the Lord. This is Jesus' model. This is Paul's model. Jesus sends out the 70, sends out the 12, and let them do the discipleship. Paul sends out Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, What you heard from me 
in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will able to teach others also. Paul says this, I want you to teach them what I've taught you so that these people can teach others. Four generations, four generations of teaching. So this is who God's calling us to be. God is calling us to be people who will imitate others, people who are actually godly, that we will imitate them. Also, God's calling us to be those who are worthy of imitation. Where are you today? Consider this. A person who's worthy of your imitation is a person who, first of all, is lovingly committed to you. Second, who will lovingly teach you. And third, who will lovingly confront you. That's what we learned today in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, or verse 14 to 21. To Anna, I want to tell you a story. If you want to experience power in your life, if you want to experience God utilizing you for the glory that is his in changing lives, you must first take a step of faith in this discipleship relationship. You must do it. Jackie Pollinger was a missionary in the 1960s. And she was a missionary from British from the British Isles, from England, and she went to Hong Kong to be a missionary in the 1960s. Now, Hong Kong is very, very different in the 1960s than it is today because there are a lot of drugs and a lot of opium trade and a lot of things going on. If you learned the history of China back then, you would know. But they had a city called the Kulong Wall City. Basically, it's a five-acre block city with buildings stacked up high to about 10 stories, 12 stories tall, all condensed in that little five-acre block. And that city, within that city, is about 75,000 people. It's a very dense city. She walked into that city as a 22-year-old, did not speak a word of Cantonese, as a white little girl, I mean white girl, right, Caucasian girl, uh, and walked in that city. The city is ran by triads. It's the largest opium-producing center in the world at the time. She walked in that city, designed to share the gospel with people back then. It's all written in a, in a story called Chasing the Dragon. You know what Chasing the Dragon literally means? You're smoking heroin, right? But this is what she did. She walked in that city, and she began to share the gospel. But nobody listened to her. Nobody listened to her because they don't believe her. It's like, why would you be here? You're just, you're white. You're a little girl. You're 22 years old. You don't look like us. You don't speak Cantonese. You know Cantonese people operate and function in a very, very different way than British people. Very different. They don't trust her. So at first they didn't know what to do with her, and eventually they decided to harm her. That is it's a very dangerous city. And when the trial leader heard about this, what he did is that he sent gang members to protect her out of just a miraculous situation. And somehow he decided, you know what, we're going to just protect this girl. He sent the gang members to protect her, stand in front of her apartment door to protect people, protect her from being harmed by people. Now the gang members are there. They're like, why are we doing this? Why are we protecting this little girl who is not like us? And while they're, while she, uh, they're standing there, this girl, Jackie Pollinger, began to share the gospel with the gang members because they're trying to find out why they're there. And she shares the gospel with the gang members believed in Jesus. One by one, quit heroin and quit their gang lifestyle and begin to follow Jesus. Eventually, the trial leader invited this girl to meet with him so that he could hear about Jesus himself. And he got saved. It's all detailed in the story called Chasing the Dragon. You know, Chasing the Dragon mainly is, is you're smoking heroin off this aluminum foil. And what she's saying is that I actually did chase the real dragon. He chased the dragon, Satan, away. And this is just a, a tremendous story. You should read that story. I just want to tell you the story because sometimes we love our lives without experiencing the power of God in our lives. Happy with Christianity the American way. 
But there's a great opportunity for us here in Hollywood. You get to experience changed lives in Hollywood. Hollywood is not a good place in terms, you know, by any stretch of the means. It's a very dangerous place. But if you are going to come to church here, and I want to challenge you with this, that you get to experience the power of God working in you by sharing the gospel with people, by seeing gospel life transform in a work of discipleship. You get to see that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 through 5 says this, For the weapons of warfare are not the flesh, but divine power destroys strongholds. We destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is our work. We get to destroy thoughts, ideology, opinions against God and take people's hearts and their thoughts to obey God. This is real power. And I invite you to experience that with us, with the whole church, as we participate in the work of discipleship together. Amen? Let's bow in word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for just your grace and reminding us what does it mean to be true disciples of yours. We're not those who will back down. We're not those who will just hide in our Christian faith. We're not those who are comfortable with suburban Christianity or American suburban Christianity. We're those who want to see your power displayed. We want to see people's lives change for you. So help us, Lord, to step out in this faithful life of discipleship in which we are pouring ourselves out for an individual and ourselves become individuals who are worthy of imitation so that we get to see lives change for the glory of God. We love you, Lord. Help us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.